you know, six, seven years ago, chased down the antique collection and Pappy and all this stuff. And that just doesn't happen anymore. Um, well, probably even longer for that. Um, so, you know, I mean, is Kenny being a little bit of a, an old grouch here? I, I think so, but. <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, we're finally back. It's another Bourbon Community Roundtable, and this is the 64th edition, and here's this week's hot topics. Sazerac has implemented near-field communication tags, or NFC tags, in this year's Thomas H. Handy. We talk about is this the boost that the bourbon market needed, or is this setting up bourbon to be more of a collectible market? But we also take a look and think, well, who should be taking the next step, or what distilleries should be really starting to take notice? I also got into a scuffle on TikTok a few weeks ago because someone said, what non-allocated bourbons are you hunting this year? And I snarkily replied, well, if you're really hunting non-allocated bourbons, is that really a hunt? So I asked the team, how do you really define hunting? And lastly, let's talk about some of those 2022 predictions and what we might see this year. But enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This question comes from Mitch Middlestadt, who writes me on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. He asks, how do you attend a whiskey event or a whiskey festival event without getting hammered? He says that people that go to Whiskey Fest often come back intoxicated, far more intoxicated than he ever wanted to be. So I think that's a great question. And uh, this right here, folks, is what separates the professionals from the amateurs. I have been doing this for 15 years, actually 16 now, and it is amazing to see how many people cannot handle their alcohol. And what I mean by handling their alcohol, I don't mean how much they can chug and they can still stand up. You know, whiskey events are not frat festivals. They're not frat events. And I was a fraternity, so I can say frat. And these aren't, it's not college. You know, the name of the game isn't how much can you drink. It's, it's how much can you taste. A taste is something that you put on your tongue. A drink is something that you ingest. Like putting a little bit on your tongue is going to give you the essence of the whiskey, it's going to give you uh, an idea of what the whiskey is. But if you drink the whole glass, you've drank it. You're you're drinking, you know, tasting versus drinking, two very different things. So at these events, if you truly want to taste a lot of things, then you need to do just that: taste. If you want to drink, then drink, but please do so responsibly. Make sure you have a driver. Make sure you have a hotel nearby or whatever. But try not to be a jackass. You know. Don't get drunk is my big recommendation. So how can you avoid intoxication at these? Plan ahead. Find out who's going to be there. Try to talk to everybody, but have a very good idea of what you want to taste in advance and do that. Just taste. When they pour, just ask for a little bit. And if you get as little as you can ingest from each one, you know that is how you are able to uh, put yourself you know, in a good time spot for the next three hours versus a quick run of intoxication over one hour. So try not to get full pours. Try to get just taste. 
uh, listen, talk, learn, but only drink the things that you really want to drink. You know, so if you get access to uh, a rare Macallan or you get access to a rare Pappy Van Winkle, you know what? You know, drink those. Yeah, definitely sit down, enjoy them. But don't be pushing these down your throat like it's a fast food burger in a parking lot at a truck stop. You know, you got to really focus on your tongue and how you're feeling uh, while you're going through the tasting. So if you listen to this and you're like, well, yeah, you know what? I like to get drunk at these events. Then you know what? My advice isn't for you. Um, I'm probably never going to get through to someone who just wants to get drunk at an event. But these whiskey events are not about intoxication. They're about exploration. They're about learning. And they're also about challenging your palate. And part of that challenge is learning how to taste versus drinking. So I hope that helps you. I hope that helps you, um, Mitch. But I think that's a really great question. And if you'd like to be like Mitch, hit me up on uh, fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Hit the contact button and send me your question or your idea. If, uh, if I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Give 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome, everybody, 
to number 64 of the Bourbon Community Roundtable. We've got the whole panel here tonight, and we've got a lot of topics that we have lined up as, as well, because we haven't been together now in, uh, as Fred said, at least four or five events now. It's It's been a while. It's, it's pre-Christmas. I think it was something around there. So it's it's been a minute. But, you know, Fred, Ryan, good to see you tonight, and pleasure to start talking some bourbon with you again. Yeah, no kidding. It's great to be back. And, uh, you know, 2022 is just just out and going. And, you know, I'm excited to see you guys and just talk bourbon. Yeah, yeah. we're going to do that. Happy New Year. And I'm glad, uh, you know, here, Kenny's pawned this new idea of This Week in Bourbon on, on me every week. So I'm just talking with Kenny about bourbon news. So now I'm glad I get to talk to you all instead of just Kenny. <laughs> get to share the love a little bit. It was funny because before we started this and I was kind of going through the week trying to figure out what my 2022 prediction was. I'm, I'm, I don't have the most creative mind. I'm more analytical when I do this sort of stuff. So I kept like going back into our, this week in bourbon to kind of see like, are there trends? Like, are there things that are starting to happen that you could see a pattern starting to emerge? And I, I tried to pick one or two out, but we'll, we'll save that towards the, the, the very end. But I do want to go ahead and let the other guys here sort of chime in and, course give them their their sort of five second intro before we kind of dive into it and so nick from breaking i'll let you go ahead and start yeah so hey everybody happy uh sunday running out the weekend here i'm nick from breaking bourbon breaking bourbon.com i think it's been geez i didn't do repeal day with you guys i don't think i did the podcast before that either so i think it's been like three months so it's good to see you guys again feels like a long time in between then and now so yeah, glad to see everybody on. I think these are some fun topics tonight, so glad to be here. Well, hopefully we get you on before uh, one more time before tax season starts rolling around, because then we know we're <laughs> never going to see you. That's true. That's true. All right, Brian, what's happening, man? Hey, guys. It's, it looks like a good one today. Uh, it has been a long time, but I guess guess repeal day for most of you. I've been hanging out with Fred a little bit uh, more than usual lately uh, with our big event that he coordinated, but... Uh, Happy 2022, everybody. Brian with Sipping Corn and Bourbon Justice. All right. Bringing justice back in 2022. And Sealbox, Break, Bourboner. The, the, the trend is going to be that Sealbox is going to get purchased by somebody in 2022. Is that is that a prediction? Anybody else have that one? I'll um, raise my hand on that one. It, yeah, feel free to, to send those, um, those inquiries my way. I'll take north of... Uh, you know, just a few <laughs> bottles of bourbon at this point. <laughs> um, thank you for the intro. I am Blake from Sealbox, and it has been a while. Although I did see Nick. Uh, Nick, what did we see each other? A couple weeks ago, I guess, right before Christmas, we went and did a pick together, so that was fun. But yeah, always always good to be back, you know. Had, had to make it, uh, make it on time, keep the streak alive, and uh, just coming in from a flight. So um, camera ready. Apparently, uh, in, in the comments already, somebody asked me if I was wearing foundation. So I'm like, no, just... Just good lighting and windburn, I think. So <laughs> it's a it's that skin regimen that you've been starting from yeah. since Christmas, man. It's really working. It is, you know, it is. So if any other skincare companies want to sponsor the the podcast, feel free to shoot those inquiries my way as well. I'm glad my Mary Kay person really hooked you up. I really hopefully I'll yeah, get that pink yeah, Cadillac one day that. for all these under the cover sort of. <laughs> is that what y'all? Is that what y'all got each other at your family Christmas? Was a skincare <laughs> yeah, product? Yeah. That was Two brothers. brothers gift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we exchanged. <laughs> all right, cool. So let's let's dive in for our first topic for the night. So we've all known that counterfeits have been around 
and really starting to be a, a really nuisance over the, the past few years. And I think, what was it? Clay Rising came out with an article last week that even put it a little bit more of a, a spotlight on it because it was in the Times. Uh, you know, we've had Adam Hers will be on the podcast here on his own episode in a few weeks as well, kind of talking about that. But there was something that also happened a few weeks ago that I kind of look at it as potentially a glimmer of hope after everything that we've talked about forever. And shout out has to go to Charles Cecito. He posted this article on Medium and that he opened up a bottle of 2021 Thomas H. Handy and noticed that there was a chip in the foil. And he started doing a little bit more research and found out that it's a near fields communication tag or an NFC to be precise. So he did some digging around and found that Buffalo Trace, they get these foils from a place called Import Yeti. And they saw that there was a new technology that's being implemented called Intact. And it's available on every single smartphone. And what you can do is you can just take your smartphone, put it near the chip, and all of a sudden some information starts to appear. But the idea here is that this will start verifying the authenticity of bottles to help prevent some counterfeiting measures and some other sort of things that happen in the gray market. So you can download an app and you can hold up to it. And sure enough, data will start coming up. I tried it on my my own Thomas H. Handy that was unopened. I put the my phone next to it. All of a sudden, some information started popping up and I could actually see some information around it. You start clicking around on some different links and stuff like that. Now, there were some other predictions that Charles had. Uh, first is that you could see if this was has been opened or not. And if it's been opened then you're going to see that inside the link. If it's still sealed, of course, it's going to say it's still sealed. So there's something with inside the seal that says whether it's opened or not. So he had, again, some other predictions. One is that Buffalo Trace will actually start creating their own app that they will have just for this so they can better keep track of their bottles that happen either through the supply chain. And this can also provide some more insights. It can provide some more marketing and consumers can start resting assured knowing that they have the real thing. So again, I tested this on my own. So the first thing that I'm going to throw it out there, and I think we can all probably agree that this is probably the right move. This is the one thing the bourbon market needed was somebody to finally step up and kind of be like the McAllen and have something out there that is going to start making sure that people look a little bit more protected in this because we've gone on a long time now with just some PVC plastic capsules that have just been too easy to, to counterfeit. So is anybody anti that particular sentiment? Somebody needs to take the opposite opinion here, but yeah, <laughs> I, I guess the only negative thing I could say about it is like, why is it taking so long? But that's, that's being a little disingenuous as well. Cause we've given, given Buffalo trace a hard time about not like adding something like this. So I think it's huge. And I think, you know, as the medium post, there's all kinds of marketing things that can be done around it. So I think it's an incredible thing. Um, you, you know, just, I, I don't know why that wasn't more of a PR splash. I guess that'll be my negative comment about it. Like, we talked about George T. Stag going missing this year. I would have much rather talked about this and what they're doing to protect the consumer and, you know, if there's an app. But my guess is this was just a test route to see if um, it, it did get out there and work in the market. And now, you know, next year's releases and follow-up releases, we'll see something more around it. Um, you know, whether that's interactive where you go online, pictures of who you drank it with or whatever it is. Um, 
you, you know, I, I think it's, it's about time, I guess. I'll try to be negative, but I, I really can't be on it. So <laughs> no, no, you're, you're totally right. I think it was definitely about time, but I, I will say this on the other and probably in their defense as well, is that I, I don't think they anticipated anybody finding out about this. And there was just somebody that was smart enough. I mean, how often do you take off a capsule from a bottle and literally look underneath the plastic? When was the last time you did that? So when uh, Coca-Cola was doing giveaways, you know, I'd I'd open the bottom like see if I got something. (laughs) Did I get a free two liter? I don't know. (laughs) Those were the days. I remember that. But I mean, it's true. I, I don't think that Buffalo Trace probably anticipated anybody actually going through and, and doing this digging. That's why you why it's why you see that happen. Um, now, I will start taking the, this in a little bit different direction is that now we see this. We see this starting to be a, a counterfeit measure. Um, do we start seeing this also go in a different route? Do we think that this could start setting it up that bourbon is now seen and the same light as we've seen with shoes and everything else, that this is starting to become a collector's market. And so they want to make sure that collectors and everybody else that are buying these with the anticipation of going to auction or do anything like that is the direction that it's heading. Well, I'll jump on that, Kenny, and, and actually kind of to add to the before you shift topics completely, we reached out to Buffalo Trace on this and, you know, they were really didn't want to share a lot of information. Um, but it sounded like this was one of a number of things that they're kind of putting into place right now. And that maybe this was not the final be all. This is what we're definitively going to do. And it's the only thing we're going to do that maybe there's a few other things that they do have in place. Um, you know, I'll raise the one question. What about when the tag doesn't work? What about when a tag malfunctions, for example? You know, how do you how do you suss that out? You know, so so they gotta kind of lead this and they're gonna have to figure out those problems, you know, as they as they go. I mean, do I think it's gonna shift people's direction from, you know, I've proven that it's real. So I'm looking at it as an investment versus what I would do with it otherwise. I mean, I think probably in most cases, people buying it before thought it was real. Um, so I think you're just going to have less inside of the market, generally speaking, but I think you generally had buyers that thought the product was real. I can't imagine that were, there were too many out there that didn't, you know, are there unscrupulous, you know, bartenders, you know, bar owners that, you know, refill bottles and do shady shit like that. And will this ever, you know, get in front of that? I don't know. I don't know how you get around that. Um, but is it going to change behavior? I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I'm curious. So, I mean, with this, can they have the ability to tie that bottle to the particular purchaser, you know, moving forward? So say you buy it, you know, and you have to give them your license, you know, and then that particular NFC number is now tagged to you. And then, so if you go and like say sell it or auction it, you know, and that, or if you do it on a secondary illegal, you know, can they trace it back to you and you be, you know, uh, liable in that regard. That would be my one big concern with, uh, you know, this, but for the most part, this is a great thing. But like Nick said, it really doesn't deter the bar that if you have an open bottle, you know, and you just pour liquid into it, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, for the auctions and the stuff that they they really don't want, the secondary market, uh, you know, it does help in that regard. Yeah. And I kind of just want to tie into that real quick, just from a, a technology standpoint, is that when you start looking at this, this NFC as sort of being a unique identifier, 
if you start playing chess and you start looking a few moves ahead now, and I know we were talking about beforehand, but if you start thinking, oh, okay, if we take an NFC and tie it to an NFT and it's minted, well, all of a sudden, this has something that is transactable that is now living in some other realm. So a secondary market doesn't matter at that point because you're trading through crypto um, and you're you're trading based on uh, the ownership of of an asset that is actually digital at this point, not necessarily physical um, until you you actually do this, some sort of like hand transaction. So there's probably a lot of things that, that are kind of getting pushed there. But again, just trying to think a, a few steps ahead of like where that could potentially go. As sure. Well. But then you have to legalize the secondary market to where that, you know, is a possibility. Yeah. Only only on the harvesting, though, if it's if it's turned to an NFT. Um but that's it's it's some really interesting things that you guys are all bringing up on this. And the I, I was kind of thinking along the same line of what's what's next or who else can use this. And I'm waiting for the vintage spirits bar or the auction house who has someone who can authenticate a bottle and basically give it their blessing and add um, go ahead and add an NFC chip to it somewhere. And then when it's sold, you know that is you know that it's legit, you know that it's authentic and maybe it gets sold on the secondary market again, but you're able to do it then because you've got that seal of authenticity on it. There are a couple uh, companies right now that are specializing in spirits, um, uh, NFTs. Uh, There's a company, I think it's called Liquid Gold that's specializing in craft products. So I think that could be the combo, Kenny, you know, the two of those together coming in to like uh, prevent some of those that give a, give a validated uh purchase and but the thing is is um you know the one of the the biggest problem you know that it, that Nick brought up you know this is one of the biggest problems is the refills you know long before you know the secondary was going on you, you had bars doing refills and like you, you, there is nothing to combat that and so this is a really good uh first step but bourbon historically is about 30 years behind you know uh and this is this is really kind of like this is progressive for for the bourbon industry to do something you know period so you know my hats my hats off to to buffalo trace for doing this i mean i I hope it goes well i know there was some uh, rfid you know attempts before in uh, in cognac that didn't work out but uh hopefully this has uh, a lot more staying power than some of those efforts do we think Buffalo Trace may have been trying to stay quiet on it to let it go for a year or so and then let some bottles pop up that they thought were refilled and just like kind of a gotcha moment of like, okay, well, we've been putting chips in them for the last two years. And if you don't have that, it's not real. Um, I mean, that'd be a lot of foresight, but I just don't understand. Aside from just testing it out and trying to work out the kinks, why not let consumers know about it? I think that's a valid theory, but the other part of this is getting the infrastructure in place that you would need to make sure that it is ready to start rolling out because everything that they need to do, I mean, granted today, what do they do? They, (laughs) those foils, anybody that doesn't know those foils come in just boxes of like 250,000 and it's all they're doing. There's just somebody that takes a foil off from another foil and just puts it on this. Uh, as as the bottles start coming around on a conveyor belt, and that conveyor belt goes through a, a heating mechanism, a heating element, and shrinks it, and then they go put in boxes. So 
for them to start building out essentially a database of what does this need to look like, they would actually have to sit there and register every single one of those NFC chips into some sort of database. Now, they could do that manually through the first way they do it, whether the supplier that they get these from just says, hey, here's the dump of the IDs that are going in this particular box. Maybe they have to do something with inside the bottling line that automatically adds it to a database as it goes through. That's just one thing of getting the, the database in order. The second part is how do you put this in front of a consumer and not make it look clunky? I mean, today it looks clunky because there's literally nothing. It's it's somebody that downloaded an app, figured it out, and you go and you pull up it. For anybody that's just not in tech, it you might think it looks like hieroglyphics and you click a link and it takes you to somewhere and it's some very pixelated image of a Thomas H. Handy and you're like, okay, cool, there it is. But if they want to make this something that's consumer facing, they will likely need to create, again, more than infrastructure, a, a better app that surrounds it. And I really like Charles's theory that they could potentially have anybody that you can download it and then you could go and you could go to a store i mean let's face it a lot of us have, have bought bottles even from shady stores at times and we can't trust that stores even have legit bottles so now you could go and you could say hold on before i purchase this i'm gonna pull out my buffalo trace app i'm gonna scan this real quick and i'm gonna make sure this is legit you pull it up it's gonna see it's gonna have the data it's gonna say uh, you know this particular bottle when it was bottled um, anything else like like that that belongs to that individual bottle. So I think that they have to get that infrastructure in place, and that is just going to take time. Yeah, one one thing too, you know, the thing about going to the the rollout of this and then being kind of quiet and not have everything together. I don't think we can discount. You know, they may they may want to keep some of this stuff a secret from their own employees. You know, there's been some issues there uh, in the past. I mean. We know that all too well. And I would say that this was probably done, you know, kind of cloak and dagger a little bit at uh, a Buffalo Trace. And, you know, this getting this getting thrown out in the public, you know, probably was not their uh, not their preference. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's fascinating. And, you know, the the combo uh, of an app and everything it puts one of the things that this does is it puts the distillery or whoever is in charge of it at the forefront of it you know and i think that's that can be a little that can be good for branding as well because that keeps the consumer engaged at all times when you know and it gives them the trust with that particular brand you know unless it becomes a housing a housing component where an app has everybody's uh security measures in place when they're going in to get a bottle. But um, I think this is, this is the biggest win that Buffalo Trace has had in, you know, probably a decade. Well, I think they've had a lot of wins, but this is a consumer win. It's a consumer win. What I mean, yeah, yeah, you know what, yeah. what I mean uh, is... Public relations win. Yeah. A, pub, a PR, yeah. the biggest yeah. PR win they've had in a long time. That's what I mean by that. But it's not even a PR win yet, you know? They, I mean, they... Well, uh, that's, their, that's their whole scheme is really right. Yeah, that's wait, their whole wait, plan. Wait, you're trying to you're trying to say that they that Charles is a plant 
from Buffalo Trace that got us to talk about. Like, now there we're it is. Conspiracy that's, theories. That's, that's we got the, microchips. We stuff. got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Medium. Medium is is the kind of site you know that um, it is it it rewards those who hustle. And like if if you are a writer from Medium, you know you're out hustling for stories all the time. And uh, and I I would say that that was just good old fashioned hustling for a story, in my opinion. No, it was good. It was so good. for for Nick's comment right there. That makes me wonder. I, I don't know the technology. Can Buffalo Trace tell which bottles are open under this kind of technology? Uh, so for anybody that's just a, a listener only. So Nick Foles commented on the chat oh. here and said that uh, we released three hundred thousand, sorry, thirty thousand Thomas H Handies, and they're all still sealed. Um, is it possible? Yes, but likely not you would have to have some sort of ping back if you were able to do something like that. So if somebody went and scanned something, then all of a sudden that would basically fire off some sort of trigger and, and go talk back to a database somewhere. Could it happen? Yeah. Is it likely to happen? Probably not because it would involve you as a consumer to actually still there, uh, sit there and do that. Now, the other thing is that these are NFC in like near field chip device readers. So if you just go and, if you're just by yourself and you got your phone in your pocket and you take off a, a, a foil from a Thomas H. Handy, it's not going to it's not going to say, oh, I've, I'm, I'm in your Bluetooth network and now I'm going to send all your data back to Sazerac. Like, that's not going to happen. Uh, you would have to sit there like after you opened it, then scan it, and then it would send the ping back to do something like that. So uh, don't think that Sazerac's just going to start stealing your information. Hold Basically, on. You open up a, yeah, now we just found the whole... <laughs> Thomas Handy, Buffalo Trace now has your search history. And um, so you're welcome. I hope you enjoyed that rye whiskey. <laughs> but but that, that does bring up a good point, though. I mean, there's one really big distinction here, and that's whether each one of these is the same thing just repeated 30,000 times or making each one unique. And I think that's kind of that leap. And honestly, Kenny, I think you're right on it with NFTs, a really blockchain technology coming into play somehow is that really the ultimate goal would be to identify each one uniquely and somehow have some kind of tracking back or talking back mechanism that can verify that, you know, in the future. And, you know, so in, in theory, you have no idea, even if people are feeding these into the app, that could be the same person feeding the same one repeatedly, unless each one is unique. You know, you're just not going to have any good data coming back. So you think about where this could go. It's kind of cool to think about. And I think we're going to see blockchain and at some point, just about everything, because it's all about trust. It's about, do you trust this person or party or wherever you're getting something from? Do you trust that it's legitimate? And we're dealing in a world where you don't really, really know anybody, especially you're all online. And so you're trying to establish that network of, of trust. And this is like a first step in kind of doing that outside of this, just I bought something from some guy online. I send him money. I hope I get something. And whatever that something is, I hope it's actually legitimate. You know, that's kind of where we are right now. It's going to be cool to see how this unfolds in like five years or so, because I think it's going to look a lot different five years than it looks today. That's what's so interesting about the whole thing is like, it almost like solidifies and encourages the one thing they're stopping or trying to stop, you know, Sazerac's totally against the secondary market, but this like kind of like, validates it or makes it a safer secondary market transaction so that's what's interesting about the whole thing to me very good i, I see that too now you just have to figure out do you want to take the red pill or the blue pill world the world's getting weirder and weirder it, I, <laughs> I'll, 
I'll definitely vouch for that. <laughs> take them both. Why not? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, take them both in the metaverse. That's how it's going to happen. All right, so let's go ahead and we'll kind of move on to our, our next topic. I really like that. I, we will definitely have to probably revisit that in the future only because there's there's a lot to uncover there. And this one, I hope we don't spend too much time on it, but I have a feeling we're going to. So I got into uh, a little bit of scuffle with somebody on TikTok. Um, and so shout out to Brownwater guy that was that was on there. He put a question. You kind of you can reply back to these questions. And they said, what are the top three bottles that you're hunting for that are not allocated? And I replied back kind of in a, you know, my typical, very sarcastic like nature. And I, I said, is that even hunting? So the question I kind of want to talk to you all is how do you define what a hunt is? And I, I kind of want to go first because this is what I wanted to put out there. And when I talk about hunting, I talk about knowing the delivery routes, you know, the store owner's names, you have put in years of work, you have been doing 24 to 48 hour campouts, and you go and just like, you're all in on it. Like that is my definition of like going all in and, and being a bourbon hunter. Now, I don't know if maybe if, because I've been around it for a few years and I'm an old person now that says kind of get off my lawn and these kids are or too weak to actually go real bourbon hunting, but I kind of want to get your all's take on what would you consider hunting? Because it could be as easy as, you know, calling a friend and that's called hunting. Like kind of give me your, your, your thoughts and, and your theories here. Well, when you look at like deer hunting, I mean, there are people who like, um, you know, prep cornfields all year round and then they just get in a stand and, you know, shoot a deer while it's in its morning routine you know, versus like going out in the wilderness. So, I mean, even with actual real hunting, there's different levels. And I, I think that's the same here. And I, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say that everybody's getting into bourbon. Everyone wants to be uh, a, a part of it. And there are some bottles that are every, I would consider an everyday bottle that requires just a little bit of going to more than one store. And I think, I think, I think the lowest form of hunting that could be considered hunting is like you're willing to make multiple trips to a store. You know, what you're talking about, Kenny, you know, you're, you're talking about, um, you know, stocking a buck for, for a year and knowing exactly where it drinks its water and you get rights to that land and you have the right tree and you got the right ammo, you know. That's I've been scooping up his droppings for a past year and yeah. just making been, sure like I know what it yeah. eats. He's <laughs> rubbing the antlers together. He's doing the calls. Yeah, you you're know. that's that's the level you're talking about there, which I respect. I admire that. But, you know, someone new getting into the game that likes Old Forester 1920, you know, they may have to go to a few stores before they find a bottle. So, you know, to me, that's that's a, that's the lowest level of hunting. And, yeah, I would I would consider it hunting, but also, you know, I guess I'd consider, you know, the, the prep cornfield one hunting as well. Or is that just shopping? Well, there's, there's the hardcore hunting. And then, yeah, the, a little a level above what Fred is saying is when you go on a trip somewhere and you stop at 12 different liquor stores on the way. So I'd, I'd consider that hunting for sure, but it's definitely a, a lower level than trail cams and everything else Fred was, was talking about. Absolutely. I love how this is compared to deer hunting and like, but I'm with, you know, Brian and Kenny. I mean, 
hunting to me is going like spending a day and you're like, I'm going to go to every store I can and just see what they have. Talk. I'm going to, you know, I don't, I don't think hunting's necessarily building relationships and like, like the cornfield prep and that, I think that's kind of, you know, that's different. I like just going to a new city and driving around, you know, the different liquor stores, seeing what they all have to offer, you know, and hunting in Kentucky is impossible. So that's why I stopped. Uh, it's all raffles or camping now anymore. So, uh, but when I go to a new town, I'm like, definitely, Oh, I see a liquor store. I'm going to pop in and see what they got. See if they got any blends. I'm kidding. Yeah. I think that that's the big thing is like, what bottles are we even hunting anymore? You know, we would, you know, six, seven years ago, chase down the antique collection and Pappy and all this stuff. And that just doesn't happen anymore. Um, well, probably even longer for that. Um, so, you know, I mean, is Kenny being a little bit of a, an old grouch here? I, I think so, but <laughs> no, I mean, I think it just evolves. Cause I can remember being excited about George T. Stagg getting one of those bottles in like 2012, 2013 and people being like, Oh, well they're everywhere. And I'm like, well, they are everywhere for you. So I think it's all, you know, it's time you put in and whether it's really bourbon hunting or not, I don't know. I'll let the person decide. Um, but you know, we've all seen the pictures of somebody with like a 175 of Buffalo trace and it's like, just nab my unicorn. It's like, is that really? But I guess it's special to them. So let, let people be happy with, uh, what they do. Yeah. Blake, I'll, I'll throw another at you. So another question, like the direction this was going towards is, um, about non how big of a jerk is Kenny? And- yeah, yeah that, that too. I mean, <laughs> I, I I caught some heat, but that's okay. Uh, I, I I deserve it. I I was it was I was being a sarcastic person, and that's fine. Now, the other idea where this is coming from is that what are your non allocated bottles? Now, when I said you know non allocated, what's that even hunting? But he had said, well, what about bottles that are not distributed in your area? So if mm-hmm. if you got to go and you got to try to find bottles that um, aren't you know, around you, what do you do? Is that, is that considered hunting? I saw somebody that said in here that said, Oh, you can't find bookers in a lot of places in Alabama. I've got to go hunt for it. Is it really hunting? If you can just make one or two phone calls and, and have it shipped to you. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Is it really hunting if you can just make one or two phone calls and, and have it shipped to you? 
I'll kind of say this. I, I think because the distribution varies so wildly from place to place, and honestly, just even anybody's own position in bourbon, what they kind of view as what's hard to get is is going to be based on their own experience, their own landscape of where they've looked. Um, that I think varies pretty dynamically from people in any given kind of like, you know, step they are in the bourbon journey, so to speak. I guess I'll put it this way. Bourbon hunting, you know it when you see it. I, I don't know that you really need to define it. I think you, it kind of just, it's that idea that when somebody's really after something, they're having to go out of their way in many different ways to find it. And it's requiring creativity. It's requiring effort. It's requiring those kinds of things outside the box. Maybe that's ultimately what it is. And I think everybody hits that point in their journey where they have a lot of fun doing it. And I think at some point, maybe people kind of get tired of it and, and, that's it's part of the whole experience of, of bourbon and, and it can be very, very fun and rewarding during that time. It can also be very frustrating, I think, when you just kind of come up empty handed, especially in some states where it's just very difficult for that effort to ever pay off. Kenny, it might be time to bring you into the uh, bourbon curmudgeon meetings that uh, Chuck Cowdery <laughs> and I have uh, occasionally. Um, um, we, I think we I think you have crossed that line where you are now a curmudgeon. And like you said, like you've been doing it so long, you're, 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 you're over, you're over on this side now, pretty soon you'll just start accepting everything and everything just doesn't bother you anymore. And you just keep, you know, complaining and realize it doesn't matter, but I, I got it. You know, I just, I just think that this, you know, if, if somebody doesn't have a bottle dis distributed in their state and they go out of their way to, to find it, I, I think that's, that's, that's big time. I think that's big hunting. Uh, because they're they're going out of their way, they're on a business trip, and they're figuring out how to get that bottle, you know. And I think Booker's is a good example. Uh, I think Smoke Wagon is a good example, and you know, people who who um, you know look for a Heaven Hill buy a Heaven Hill Green Label when they come to Louisville. I think that's a great example. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I just think you've been you've been. Uh, a big game hunter for so long, Kenny, that you, you forgot how uh, most people live. You know, not everyone's going out and <laughs> into some of the sustenance uh, hunters over safari. here. You know, Kenny's he, he only wants Kenny. the big elk on his on his I trophy know. manual. Yeah, he's Kenny's... shooting he's shooting moose in Jacksonville. Somewhere. Yeah, we still don't know <laughs> how he does. It. While the he rest of us are happy owners. with we're I mean, happy with does. Not uh, I was going to say pheasants. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, no, geez, you know, Kitty. I mean, come on now. I mean, you do make a good point. I mean, because when I really got into the hunting, like it bit me bad in about 2014. And that was really the year when you could still, I mean, you had to put in a little bit of work. You had to go to lines. You had to know when delivery days were. And I remember when BTAC came out, like, oh, go here, pick up a stag. Go here, pick up a stag. Pick up a stag here. Oh, Eagle Row 17. That's cool. Pick up a stag over here. And And so that was that was like putting an effort. You had to know a lot of things. And, but then again, those were a lot different bottles than the bottles that are today. And now to kind of Blake's point, people have to do that same level to pull a 1.75, a Buffalo trace. So the, the game has gotten a little bit different. So yeah, maybe, maybe just the big bucks are gone and all you can shoot are pheasants. Maybe that's just the, I don't know the nature of, of what wildlife is, is still out there to be able to do. Um, but Fred, I will challenge you just a little bit on what you had mentioned earlier about, oh, you know, you're going out of your way to call somebody. I don't know. I just feel that the level of making a phone call to my Aunt Rita in New Mexico saying like, hey, by any chance, 
uh, you know, do you have Eagle Rare on the shelf over there? To like, be fair, and she, and she does. Like, you needed to talk to like Rita anyway. Yeah, it's like to be yeah. fair. I talked to Rita twice a year, once for Christmas and one for Eagle Rare. <laughs> that that analogy I gave was not about calling someone. It said they go out of their way on a business trip or make a special trip to get the bottle. It's not. I I do think you know a call calling someone to pick it up. That is that's a low level haunt. But if you're in Alabama and you happen to be on business in, say, Columbus, Ohio, and, you know, you've got two hours before you go to the airport and you're hitting up every single liquor store you possibly can, uh, that's hunting. That, that's hunting. Calling your Aunt Rita, you know, I mean, it's good to catch up with Aunt Rita. I mean, you ignore her every single year, but by God, you, you know, time for bourbon. Maybe she can get a bottle for you. But it, it, it to me, you know, that that's low level hunting, but still. It's um, you know that that's a, that's a hired gun kind of moment. That's like your buddy gets a deer, but you didn't go deer hunting that year. But you're going to get some meat off of the kill. <laughs> By the way, can you get two of those since they're so plentiful around you? I'll just take yeah. the second deer. <laughs> I love how long we've taken this analogy of the you know deer hunting. <laughs> it's uh, it's perfect. There's more to talk about and just wait to get into deer camp. I mean, that's, and now the PETA letters will come get some, (laughs) get some summer sausage with that venison. Oh, well, I think we, we touched on that. I honestly, I think we could probably make a whole episode on, on what do we define this? And I I think I'll, I'll put it out there is maybe we do take into a full episode and we invite somebody that is sort of a new age hunter. That's been in this for about maybe one or two years and sort of see how the game has changed over the past uh you know half decade six seven years and and maybe that's that's who i'll be able to put my foot in my mouth and say yeah sorry you're right the the right guy put in the chat here what about online is how is that i mean i would i would have i mean i advise everybody to stay away from online shopping at this point unless it's at a trusted retailer like sealbox or you know a place that you know because there's oh, so on it i mean we so know many, this guy you could have just then left then. it with that first statement yeah, yeah. <laughs> stay away from that online because <laughs> of shady and uh... there's so many scams i get hit up probably three times a week uh by personal friends and several times a day on instagram of people asking me giving me this random like uh website like we got liquors.com or something shit like that. And they're like, Hey, is this real Blanton's is for 35 bucks? That's not real, pal. It's not real. You'll get burned once and you'll learn your lesson. There's me. A lot of people that get burned by that in the, uh, the next few years. But mm-hmm. when we talk about the next few years, you guys ready to talk, talk about some 2022 predictions. Oh boy. Oh, here we go. Here we, here go. we go. I'm really oh, looking forward to this one. So we all probably know that we're going to see a new Weller label this year in some kind of color. We still know that the global supply chain is going to ish to continue. We're going to still have glass bottles. Heck, we may even see Kentucky Owl break ground this year. But I want to know what are your 2022 predictions? So whoever wants to jump in first. Did anybody go back and listen to like their 2021 predictions? And yeah, I remember. Uh, I'm mine. sure we did this. Yeah. Um, did they come true? Um, yeah. So I, I was thinking about this a pretty good bit. Um, and I think it's easy to sit there and say like, oh, there'll be more limited releases. Prices will go up all this stuff. But um, I think we're set for a, a big acquisition at this point. Um I feel like we talked about this last year, you know, who's who's likely to get purchased and it never happened. Um, what? what are you I talking like, about? There was Luxco and MGP. That was huge. 
Yeah, no, that was that's a big not one. MGP. That's um, what's their new name? Maze and Squibbit Scholar. That's a merger. Whatever. Hollow. Um. Okay, that's a merger. I'm I'm not counting them. I, I'm saying like I don't know. Um, yeah. You know, like a smooth ambler gets gets bought up or they've been know, bought by Pernod. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Like when that oh, happens, yeah. it's like that. Yeah. Fuel boxes so purchased by China. That, yeah, <laughs> just the country, not not any specific corporation. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're gonna. I think we're getting really close to having one of those big acquisitions, um, as well as there's just going to be higher prices. And we could have said this, predicting it for the last five to ten years, but there's going to be higher prices. And yeah, that, that's kind of my prediction. I just think there's so much more capital flowing into the market now and and we're starting to see that that side of the world really start to pick up whether that's barrels or brands or whatever it is um it's it's getting looked at or even bottles way more as an investment than it was the past five years um which is drawing the attraction of a lot of you know serious money i've got a similar prediction um it's Similar in the sense that it's it's about bottles and premiumization, which we've already hit and in, in increased prices. But I think that the the main Kentucky distilleries have a lot of experiments in the ricks, and we're going to see that be the new premiumization. There, you haven't known what to do with it. They they put out so much bourbon, you can't put out six thousand bottles of some off-brand something. But Heaven Hill did it, I don't know, 2014, 2015, and I was lucky enough to get a bottle. They had 65-gallon barrels uh, that they were aging upright because they didn't fit on the rick. And they released some as a William Heaven Hill, and they sold uh, another barrel to uh, Bourbon Bar in, in uh, I think, Atlanta. And it was yeah. some of the most fantastic, fantastic bourbon. Still one I've of the best had. bottles I've ever had. Yeah, just one. shocking at how good that was. So I think we're going to see some of those start slipping out either through the distilleries or or somehow else in their in their super special premium crystal decanter and everything else. But it won't just be their standard mash bill and their standard barreling and their standard everything else. There's going to be some special things coming out on that front. I think we're at the point now where people are acclimated to expensive bottles you'll pay 350 for something at a at a distillery uh, you'll pay a heck of a lot more for it in the secondary market but it's always the same whiskey it's the same mash bill same everything else so now i think we're going to go to that next level and we'll be seeing uh $1000 bottles just regular retail because they're special i totally agree that the the premium is premiumization is going to be there. Like that's, I think that's, that trend's going to continue for a few years. Uh, so Brian, I, I don't know if I, I lost the, the the thought train there when I was listening to it. Are, are you saying that distillers are going to start doing crazy one-off mash bills now or that they're going to start releasing them? I think okay. they already have. So to bring up Buffalo Trace again, they've of course been experimenting on everything and they've had the whole series of experimentations, but I'm assuming they've got more than they've released in those little bottles. And, and I brought up Heaven Hill just because they had done something different you know, 20 years ago with those 65-gallon barrels. And so all of them have tried to figure out 
you know, which part of the tree do we make this, do we get the stays from? How do we charge? Should we do something different in that, from that standpoint? Or let's tweak the, the recipe that we use normally. I think there are going, going to, we're going to find that there are different whiskeys in these massive warehouses that they just haven't known what to do with because there's not enough of them to do anything to scale and they're going to come out. So you're saying that this is the time that they've been doing all these experiments and now we're just going to say, hey, people people are willing to pay for this stuff. Yes. Because years ago you had the B-Tech or the Buffalo Trace Experimental Collection. And now when people didn't really care about that, because what, those were 375s and 50 bucks and people were kind of shying away. Now they'll do it. They'll put it out there and they'll charge $150 or $350 a bottle and people pay it. People pay it now. That's what I'm saying. I think they've got us finally subdued, and and we, we agree to pay more and more money. I mean, there there used to be a time, 2013, 14. I said I'm not going to pay eighty dollars for a bottle of anything, and it's just oh, you know, nice nice time frame back then, I suppose. But now people are, are will easily pay five hundred dollars for some of these things that were experiments by the big distilleries fifteen years ago. So I'm going to jump in on the regulatory side. Uh, so on the state side in Kentucky, currently, as we speak, uh, the ABC, the Kentucky ABC, has uh, basically told distillers that barrel picks will cease in uh, starting in April if the the language of the law is, is not uh, updated. So currently... There is a a rush uh, from the regula- uh, regulatory body and the uh, the Senate and the KDA and everybody to get the uh, the law of picking barrels in the Commonwealth of Kentucky within what they are comfortable with from a code perspective. So we're going to see a very different. Um, and that was that was something that came out of Repeal the Expo. Uh, Senator Damon Thayer uh, talked about that, but and Eric Gregory followed up from the KDA. And so that is something that I know is going to happen. So we're going to see some very new tight uh, regulations on what is allowed uh, with, with barrel picks. Uh, so that's one thing. And then on the federal government side, uh, there has been a lot of kind of like, you know, closed door conversations and some public conversations uh, about defining special barrel finishes and taking them out of the distilled spirit specialty category and kind of giving them their own their own spot, which to me, I love the flavor, the quality of special barrel finishes. I just hate the uh, sloppiness of which the federal government has it on the on the coating side, and I think it's dangerous for bourbon in terms of keeping it to be a unique product in the United States and having barrel finishes be considered bourbon. So I think that that is something that we can we can see change in uh, 2022. So two. Two things on the regulatory side um, that I think um, are forthcoming. Well, I hate that first one because we all want to see barrel picks thrive. Uh, but yeah, and I don't, ha- I don't think they're going to go away. I mean, I, they're they're working to make it fit. But if they can't agree, if the legislature cannot agree on something to give the regulatory body, which is the ABC, then they will stop barrel picks until they get uh, with something they're comfortable with. But I, I don't see that happening. I see them you know, working it out and getting the language they want. Because uh, basically this this ABC came in and said, listen, we're being pretty loose here. 
you, we need to tighten this up in terms of uh, compliance and language of the law. Is it? And I'm curious about that, Fred. Is it as simple as that? And that how that's defined? Maybe it just wasn't really defined before, and they've been doing it, and now they're kind of realizing they didn't define it. Is it as simple as we just want a definition of? what this is when it's bottled like this, it's got to conform to a certain standard or is there more than that? No, I think it's exactly that. I mean, they're trying, what they're trying to do is they're trying to protect the interest of Kentucky. And, you know, one side will say that. And the other side is, is that they're trying to like squeeze out everything. I mean, it's politics, right? But if you, if you look at what, you know, this state has to deal with, they have to deal with 49 other States. Um, and in some cases, countries of, um, you know, upholding the the barrel pick process so when when someone's picking from pennsylvania or ohio you know there could very well be a controlled state like audit into into that barrel and and the commonwealth would have to defend that process and you know from my understanding the regulatory body right now is not comfortable with the language and the definitions and everything and so they just want to tighten that up uh, get it narrowly tailored so there can be no misunderstanding with with how the barrel pick process goes. But it, it everybody seems to be working in that direction. Now, if you're on the opposite side of the governor, you you have a very different um, uh, way you say that. <laughs> uh, but if you're just trying to make sure that things are getting forward, I think it, it it's looking like everything's going to be fine. But they just need, but it does have to come to the floor and get voted on. And so there is a matter of politics behind it, but uh, everyone seems to be on board with it. And, you, and to be honest with you, bourbon is the one thing in this state that's kind of holding us together. Uh, and so I, anybody that wouldn't vote for a bourbon bill in, in Kentucky right now, I mean, that's political suicide. <laughs> yeah, we're not voting for you, that's for sure. <laughs> Nick, you spoke up. I want to hear your, your theory here. Uh, so, you know, I kind of, uh, I, I had a few here. So Brian kind of touched on, um, something I was thinking about and, you know, touched on the bigger guys. And, you know, I was thinking about the smaller craft distilleries too. You know, I can't tell you how many distilleries or producers reached out to us this year. And honestly, it was the, the first time I had heard about the product, for example, and we're seeing things open up more. Uh, we're seeing the space just more and more noise you know there's just more and more different products it's really hard to keep track of everything there's so many small limited products that are out there um if you're not one of the big players with big distribution you fall back and and it's very difficult to get heard aside from just that lo local voice you might have so i think what we're starting to see and we started to see this with the pandemic was we started to see these smaller guys kind of come online and realize oh, i can i can get the word out and maybe lead distribution with awareness you know is that capturing that mind share and i think we're going to continue to see more of that mind share kind of focus we've already seen it a lot but i think we're seeing more and more of these companies call it storytelling i guess call it connecting with consumers talking about their brand just just basically making a stronger effort to get themselves out there and make people aware. I think we're going to see more and more of that. I'm excited about that too, because if you don't pay attention, sometimes it really is just the few big players that really kind of control so much of the mind share and so much of the market. And there's a lot of great distilleries out there doing 
crazy things. I know, you know, I talked with Blake years ago when he opened Sealbox, and I just thought that was just such an interesting idea that no one had taken that kind of perspective of saying, hey, let's talk to these smaller distilleries and kind of tell their stories and bring that out there. When you look at retailers, no one else is doing that, you know, and so now this is happening. You know, you're going to see, I think, more and more of this, this mind share and kind of to, you know, to, to uh, Fred's point a little bit on the regulation side, we're also seeing some regulation, you know, as you look at, like, for example, we look at RTDs. That was my prediction last year. RTDs were going to explode. They didn't quite explode to what I thought. Well, the tax on liquor is fucking so much higher than beer and wine, you know, because in the past you've had wine, you've had so much movement towards where they want that to be. You've had movement towards, you know, shipping wine and things like that, that you just hadn't really seen with, for example, bourbon yet. And now we're seeing that momentum. So we're seeing this ability now for brands to get their products in more people's hands. And I think that's good for everybody because you want the market to be open. You don't want these legal restrictions, state to state restrictions, all these things that are really just just preventing somebody from being successful, preventing someone from getting their product into your hands. Look at all people's frustrations with hunting and what you can and can't find in your state and how it's done. Bourbon is very fucking frustrating. It's not like a video game where it comes out and you can buy it if you want it. You just reserve it. It's like you got to, you, like we talked about, you got to fucking hunt for it. I mean, it's crazy. And I think we're just going to see more open regulation to that point. And we're going to see more and more of these brands getting out there and talking about what they're doing, telling those stories. And I'm excited about that. I'm fucking excited for you too, Nick. I think it's the most F-bombs I've seen. I heard you drop Fucking in, A. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love my it. My people Sunday right night, That's what happens on Sunday nights in my house. <laughs> no, I, and I, I agree. I think this could be a big breakout year for craft because now a lot of that stuff's coming online. A lot of people are liking it. It's You're not getting burned by two-year whiskey anymore. It's getting a little bit older. So I do like it. That means it's going to be a breakout year for Sealbox. So make sure you buy stock in that too. But Cecil, I want to hear your prediction. All right. Well... I'm interested, you know, that whole Biden like investigation of like, uh, you know, the distribution, the White House was doing a, you know, investigation of like fair, how fair was the, the current liquor business or liquor industry as a whole? Like, I wonder how that's going and what ramifications come from that. So I, I feel like that's going to get released maybe at some point this year and maybe slight changes, probably nothing, uh, will happen. But, uh, anyways, uh, far as premiumization, I agree with that. I think you're going to see some of the big boys start to, and you kind of saw it with Knob Creek last year coming out, you know, the past couple of years with 12 and 15 year and charging a premium for it. I think you might see like Elijah Craig, you know, just come out with like an eight year age statement or a 10 year or, you know, something just putting the age statement back on to, to make it more of a premium version. You know, they see somebody up on top of the hill, you know, release a seven or eight year bourbon and they're charging getting $300 a bottle for it. You know, why can't we, you know, the big distilleries do that too, you know, just with the standard mash bill. And, and then my final prediction is because they're still producing so much and there's so much, and they still can't meet demand that you're going to see a lot of, uh, technology, you know, wood finishing people, obviously people are comfortable with toasting and they love it and enjoy it. I think these distilleries have taken notice and then they can really use this wood finishing technology to make younger distillate more approachable and sellable at a younger age. And I think you're just going to see more and more of that because the public has really latched onto this toasted, uh, you know, product line. And so I see more 
wood finishing, capping, and also to technology that you might not even know about on the label, like some oxid oxidization, like stuff that they do inside the barrel that you don't even have to put on a label to say it's been altered in the barrel somewhat because it hasn't left the wood. And so there's going to be, I think, more of that coming out, to get younger whiskey coming out that's uh, more palatable, more better for consumers. I like that one, Ryan. I really like that one a lot. You're, uh, you never cease to amaze me with that because who doesn't have a toasted offering today? Everybody, everybody's got something and and you're yeah. right. It, it, it does do something to alter a flavor of a, of a younger whiskey and does something there. So I really like that one. Um, so I'll, I'll give mine. So this was going to be my original prediction that there was going to have something, something with marijuana and bourbon. But unfortunately that had came true at the end of 2021 when Tilray announced the act or the intention to purchase Breckenridge distillery. Um, now, Mine is going to be a little bit different. I think that this might be the year of throwbacks. I think we're going to see some more vintage packaging. Some people look back at some more vintage advertising that they've done. And I look at this because a few things. One, I felt hopeful when I read uh, Chuck Cowdery's article this past week on is old granddad and basil hayden the same and i i'd love to see something happen with old granddad i think that'd be cool to kind of see that sort of vintage feel kind of come back to that that particular brand but the one thing that kind of made me go through this was when chicken cock came out with their sort of uh tin can release that was their 20 year rye and that was a very much like a throwback feel i have a feeling we're going to see some more of this kind of uh, throwback vintage packaging. These brands are going to try to latch on to something that was in the seventies. We looked at it as a gimmick, but now people are like, Ooh, this one comes in a box. This one has this, this one has this, like there's going to be something that brands are going to start latching onto. And, and I think we're going to start seeing some more of those things start happening on the shelf that people might find a little bit interesting. I've been hoping for that for a long time. I, I had one more prediction. I'm glad you said chicken cock. To me, Canadian whiskey is going to be become more popular, more accepted as premium. You know, I know everybody in this barrel is all up on seagrass, but the one that got sent in that sample bottle that I think's best is that 24 year old Canadian whiskey aged in, you know, Oloroso Sherry and Armagnac cask. And Canadian whiskey has been great for many years, but I think. People are going to start releasing it because you can put a high state, age state on it, charge a lot. Premium is that? Pre, God, I don't even know the word. Premium, make it premium. Premiumization. Premiumization. <laughs> yeah. Uh, We're all Canadian whiskey, I think, is going to get become more widely accepted and popular as uh, you know quality. Bring it, bringing it back to the uh, curmudgeon, uh, you know, Chuck Cowdery and Lou Bryson meetings we've had. We've been saying that for for 12 years with Canadian whiskey. But the problem is, is the Canadians will not put a focus on how we like whiskey here. Uh, they will release, they'll release a lot of stuff out into wholesale. It'll be great with, by the people who bottle it here. But, but most Canadian distillers want to focus on blends and are after, are after volume versus like, um, you know, cash drink glory. Cause man, I got to tell you, I, I would put Canadian distillers up against any any major body in the country. Where they lose me is where they water everything down to eighty proof and blend the shit out of it, you know. But they are so they make such great whiskey there, such great whiskey. I think we all can agree. I, 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 agree, I agree with you on that, Ryan. I, that was my favorite one too of that barrel pack. 
that I love those lighter, sweeter flavors you get from that. And uh, yeah, I just think it's kind of just outside of the spectrum. Like it's still within the spectrum of what bourbon drinkers like, but it's kind of like light whiskey. It's like this familiarity, but it's different. And you think about that bourbon kind of spectrum is pretty tight. The rye spectrum is pretty tight. You got the barrel finishes. You got, of course, now the American malts. People kind of like those or don't like those. But I feel like most bourbon drinkers like will like that well done Canadian or well done light whiskey and those sweet like creme brulee flavors and that kind of thing. Totes. I agree. <laughs> I concur. Rye whiskey in totes. How about it? Let's let's all get it. Well, fellas, this was amazing. I'm glad we we hit on a lot of topics. I'm glad we all got to get in our 2022 predictions. We'll meet back here in December. We'll see if anybody got them correct. And we'll see uh if if not, maybe maybe it's like a a fantasy football draft, like whoever loses, we, we get to shame them at the end of the year. Maybe that's maybe that's how it is. Um, you got to buy the keg at the draft. <laughs> you come in like, last. <laughs> yeah. But this was fantastic. I uh, want to say thank you again, everybody that kind of joined in. But before we sign off, I want to let these guys uh, let you know how you can find them, how you subscribe to them and read more about their books and their websites and everything like that. And Nick from Breaking, I'll let you lead it off. Hey guys, so uh, great being on here. Uh, really active chat. Great comments from everybody in here. Um, great talking with you guys. Um, so hey, Nick from Breaking Bourbon, breakingbourbon.com. Find us on all the socials at Breaking Bourbon. And uh, hey, cheers Sunday night. Hope, hope everyone's sipping something good tonight. Brian. All right. Thanks for having me on again. This was a good show. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and I'll I'll forget what, I, what my prediction is by December. So we're going to need you to do like you did the one show and do the throwback of, of something we said long ago, but thanks for having me on, uh, Brian with sipping corn. You find me on the socials at sipping corn and online at uh, bourbonjustice.com. See you guys. Blake, you can go. Yeah, I guess I'm the last one up. Yeah, I guess y'all, the, the rest of y'all are hosts. So, uh, no, I'm Blake from uh, Steelbox and bourboner. Always fun to be on. Uh, glad we could knock it out on a Sunday night with some great topics. Uh, especially with the national championship tomorrow. Thank you, Brian, pointing that out. Um, go SEC. As a Florida fan, we just sit back and, you know, it's like watching an older brother play. Um, but no, all, always fun, guys. Really enjoyed it. So thanks for having me. For sure. And again, thank you, everybody else that tuned in. This is an awesome roundtable. We got to touch on a lot of subjects, a lot of subjects I think that we're going to hit on. And I hope that we're going to see some of these come true this year some of them i hope we don't see come true this year but all in we're gonna drink a lot of good bourbon in 2022 but cheers everybody with that we'll see you all next week